As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Just real quick, you can just, you know, share with me your name, and, mm-hmm. and and I know you're Monica, but everybody else doesn't know you're Monica. What's your name? Hello, my name is uh, Monica Dorner. And Monica, where are you from? Well, I was born in Arizona and um, had lived throughout regions in the southern parts of Arizona and even New Mexico, close to the Mexican border. Until the age of um, nine and a half, came to Indiana in 1977. 1977, and I've gone through sharing extreme poverty um, and experiencing the common prejudices experienced by all people who are poor and blamed for their poverty um, with one look of disapproval and discrimination and condemnation. So I don't have pity, I empathize. And as I came to Indiana, um, I think that I've experienced as a child the disparities that I saw among people and groups um, began going from a public school to a private school and perhaps for six months couldn't talk from the culture shock of what a difference in those values meant. Can you describe what that culture shock, what the underpinnings or what were the, the visual signs that, that of that shock were? Well, growing up when I was young, In Arizona, I used to try to look for adults to go to the bus stop or avoid it altogether because the odds were one in a hundred, one in a hundred that there was going to be some somebody hurt, some rocks thrown at someone by someone older, or a fight break out. And if there weren't a parent there, I'd just walk all the way to school and dread the day. It wasn't a matter of if, but when you were going to get picked on or be in a fight and on the playground it was the tough guy cool kids even up into fourth grade already talk in fourth grade of oh I'm afraid of middle school they carry guns and then to go to Indianapolis Indiana in a small small town parochial school the value systems 
the kids were all being good when the nun was there, and I thought, oh, well, I'll get to talk to him more at recess. And to my shock and adjustment, it wasn't cool. Not one child cussed. Not one child ever began a fight. I had uh, probably spent six months in silence and held the teacher's hand and quiet observation and learning just a whole new culture of anything I thought was cool was not cool. And that was the very beginnings of truly um, turning around inside and out. But even before that, there were role models in Arizona that uh, struck a chord with me. And things I'll never forget in regards to, sorry, to Indians who had left reservations and the attitudes that I heard adults speak. Uh, even as a child, at the age of, in third grade, I became very upset when I realized that our Los Niños school in Tucson, Arizona, had a workaround for desegregation. And they had an all-year-round school, and they decided to zone it into four separate class um, schedules. So the upper-middle-class white children were in the first two-week session. Then the second-round session that had a blend of Mexican trailer court, white trailer park kids, one quadrant primarily black, and the third quadrant primarily Hispanic. And when I went in to go see the books that the child had that had started two weeks before me on that year-round school rotation, and I noticed that their books weren't beat up and their books weren't written in in raggedy, I became enraged and aware. How old were you? I was 10, or no, no, I was only in third grade, I was only eight. What did you do with that, that rage or that anger? That Did you internalize it or did you act out or did it come out in constructive or destructive ways? What did you do with that? Well, I had already begun to transcend the poverty around me and my family. Because if you internalize that in yourself, you are sunk and tied to it. So even at the age of like starting five, I would take long deserts alone by myself, or long walks in the desert by myself alone, as a way of gathering my strength and testing my strength. And when I avoided the conflicts and hardships that surrounded me in my neighborhood, um, I found the way to transcend was to not internalize that into myself. So I was lucky that way. Were there other children who weren't able, around you, who weren't able to do what you were able to do? Um, I don't, I think, um, I don't know why, but from an early age, uh, between the Vietnam War footage I saw and um, the education that I sought, that I was a self-motivated learner, that when I saw those books, instead of feeling defeated, I decided I was gonna prove them wrong. And when we had no homework day after day after day, I made a point of carrying my books home on the bus every day from school on my own initiative, just in case I decided to read. And I tried to do cursive before I could print properly to my teacher's dismay. 
but I don't know why, but there was something in me that was getting tough internally. And I think I had to do with kind of my prayers and my walks at even that young age. What do you what what would you say to some of the young people in communities like the one we're sitting in right now who face similar realities, you know, and may even come to a similar um, they may come to a similar conclusion that hmm, I don't think this is right. What would you say to them in order to sort of light the fire of motivation that you were able to sort of intrinsically have? Well, I think that it wasn't totally intrinsically. I think that even the um, the exposure I had to um, church on Sundays, we may not have gone every Sunday because we may not have been able to get on the bus, but um, I think that that had much to do with it. And I think that as far as harnessing it, I think that... I think the primary combats are going to be those certain people in your life that you see as good examples. Those certain role models that you see that you want to be like and emulate. Those people that may be few and far between that you might have to seek out that can serve as your inspiration. And you have to replace despair and hopelessness with hope and compassion to know that you can be empowered to know that you have internal strength to know that you do not need to turn that way and I'll give you an example one time there was a big fight in the desert in the back out past the trailer courts and no one could see all us kids and the kids were like gladiators Kill, kill, fight, fight. I was getting, I was getting beaten up, and the crowd was completely against me. And I managed to squirm out from underneath, and I picked up a huge rock with both hands, and I knocked her down. And I was holding up this rock over her head, and the voice of God told me no, even though the crowd had begun to cheer for me. And I realized that the strength of the cheers of that crowd was the evil and that you have a different kind of strength when you hold those muscles back and you exercise your brain and you work those energies a different way and that was a turning point in my life and I was shaking and I'm shaking now when I think about it so what so would you agree that that same power exists today and I'm asking that I know it's a loaded question Jesus said there will always be the poor and so likewise I think like one of the most important things we can read over and over is the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and I think Mother Teresa serves as a good example on the streets of Calcutta a drop in the ocean is better than nothing and if not for the drops and drops and drops there would be no ocean So I would say that each and every positive action does matter, does count. Each and every life touched does matter, it does count. And I would say that solidarity among 
all humans, from all races, from all religions, from all socioeconomic backgrounds, need to consolidate their efforts and work together. And that this would be the key. But the bottom line key is each person looking in the mirror and knowing to do the best they can and their role in that. And sometimes your best role is being a good example. And sometimes your best role, when you are more mature, is reaching out and helping others up along the way in your community. Now we're, you know, we're obviously camping out in a tent to raise awareness of the violence in not just this area, but areas just like it all over the, all over the city. And part of this campaign is about doing pretty much just that, saying, hey, you know what, put down your denomination, put down your size of town, put all those differences down so that we can kind of focus in on where we want to be as a people, a humanity, you know. Um, and we've tried our best to communicate that it's not the guns, it's not the knives, it's the hopelessness behind many of those acts that, that propel people to pick them up in the first place. And we want to be able to walk away with as many creative ideas and solutions as we can to meet these communities at the root of that that need. What do you think could be, I mean, even if you just have one, a, a creative, innovative, out-of-the-box even, or just very simple, like, low-hanging fruit solution to meet that root need that communities like this and others like it um, need to meet? Um, well, I think there's, I think one, I think uh, that, I think the 10-point walk is a good effort with the zones, um, but I also think that potentially somehow if there can be a more collaborative effort and that the primary goal be maintained and not worry about what you disagree about, but worry about what your common goal is and keep your focus on that. Kind of like keeping your focus on the benefit of future generations as compared to your own current benefit. And not being concerned with credit or accolades and merely focusing on a coalition. I don't know. Um, I think one friend to another friend to another friend is the best way to invite people to things. Not, not posters, bulletin boards. I think the presence on the street, the personal touch is going to be a key factor for all people reaching out. Um, and I don't have all the answers, but all I do know is that each person needs to build each other up, not tear each other down, and that the coalition can... It, it's going to have its ups and downs over the course of years. More volunteers in some years historically as compared to current. And in terms of this awareness that I think the more word of mouth and personal testimony that can be shared personally in small groups and spread, that over time I think that will make the biggest impact. And maybe even carpooling 
on, you know, church bulletin boards to get to the meetings. Um, when you're trying to coordinate an event and multiple, multiple pastors coming together and as they come together, not as chiefs, but as complete public servants. That prayer worked, didn't it? Our prayer worked. I don't know. I can hardly even imagine what I just said. <laughs> the good thing is, is that what you said was was uh, was awesome, and we can you know, share these concepts and these stories and these ideas with others who, you know, as. I think it takes, yeah, I think it takes more strength not to be violent than to be violent. And I think that's been proven over and over again with leaders like Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, and Mother Teresa, and anyone that you can think of that's a pacifist, and Gandhi, anyone that you can think of that went through a lifelong, dedicated struggle and did not revert to violence that those were forces that still today have effect. Violence is temporary. It's taking a hill, but it's not winning a battle. Thank you so much for this. And I'm going to share with you in a minute I'm gonna bless your why this was so meaningful to me. Uh, and uh, I just want this on the table for everybody here. So I'm going to stop it now and then we'll close out. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 